and welcome to The Marketing Show. On today's episode, we have a special interview with Afra Abdeen, an entrepreneur who's making some of the most exciting and stunning cakes with her baking business, Oh That Be Good. While Afra is an extremely talented baker, she's also a branding and design genius. She's been able to create a brand that feels very personal and authentic, making her business one that inspires and delights. If you like the episode, please reach out to us on our LinkedIn page, The Marketing Show Podcast, to stay up to date. With that being said, we hope you enjoyed the interview. Well, hello, Afra. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We're really excited to have you join our learning journey. Um, while we kick off, would you mind telling us who you are and what you do? Ooh. Uh, so I'm Afra Abdeen, uh, and I am in the midst of establishing a new identity. That's why I was like, ooh, <laughs> trying to figure out what do I call myself now. Um, I guess I'm a consultant now. Not guess I am a consultant now. Uh, and I also run my own small business called Oh That Be Good, which uh, deals with the art of cake decorating. Yeah, no, a very, very tasty business that we're excited <laughs> to learn more about. Um, to get us started, could you tell us a bit about, I guess, your origin story, uh, where you started in your career and how you've come to be a small business owner? Sure. Uh, I think for me, the pivotal moment that probably set me off on my pathway of appreciating the world of small business came at uni. Uh, I was that third year uni student kind of going, now what do I do? Like, what am I going to do with my degree? Where, where am I going next? And I kind of decided at the time that I was probably going to do post-grad. Um, and I came across a group called Inactus, uh, which is a big group in Australia today as well. Um, it's a it's essentially student social entrepreneurs who think that we could use an entrepreneurial approach to do good in the community. Um, I discovered this group and was with them for about two years and ended up being a president of the organization and running it. And through that whole journey, I learned a lot more about small business um, and also the power of social enterprise. So that kind of set me on a pathway where I just wanted to keep exploring this world uh, that I'd never known existed before then. Uh, and along the way, I decided that, you know, I have the ability to talk to the corporate world um, and I'm quite comfortable there, but I also have the ability to talk to the small business and social enterprises. And what I constantly felt missing was like almost there, there were things that got lost in translation between the two. And I felt that I could be a bridge between the two. So that's what spurred me on to explore you know, corporate world where we met in our journey as well. Um, and then to bring on my small business along the way with it. And I think for that, for my small business to really become its own thing and have the confidence for that, that came halfway through my time at Unilever. Um, I spent about my, f my first year trying to figure myself out after working in the social enterprise world. You know, I came in thinking I'm going to learn a lot about the corporate world and FMCG as an industry, but I learned more about myself. And through that realization, it was just the fact that I needed to have something more that I was coming home to. Um, and I love baking, I love taking photos and I love writing. So can I translate this want to have something else into something that was a bit more tangible? The answer was yes. And that's how oh, that be good kind of started. Mm. Wow, that's a really amazing journey and, and really inspiring to hear part of your story. Um, I guess through learning uh, through the corporate world and also starting your small business, um, have you developed a philosophy on what marketing is and what it means to hope that be good? Yes, I think it's about breaking every rule that you probably think you know. Uh, it's With small business, I find that you're 
your personality is also very much linked to you. So it's less about, you know, being a beast um, and then you're trying to, you know, articulate what that beast looks like. It's more to do with, well, this is who I am and this is an extension of me. Um, and so marketing in small business for me feels very much like I'm putting myself out there in a lot more of a transparent way and where I feel like I could be exposed, but that's okay. Um, it's, it's much more about a personal translation of belief than about trying to tell someone why something should be perceived in a certain way, which I found that that's what you do when you're working for a large entity and trying to create a presence for something. It's a, yeah, it's something we can relate to, I think, here on the marketing show as being, I guess, the brand CEO and putting yourself out yeah. there as your small business and the face of it. When we talk about marketing in that small business, mm -hmm. what is it like for you day to day? What kind of a role does marketing play? Uh, I it's it's a tough one I don't necessarily conceptualize it as marketing per se I just think about it as how am I going to put myself out there and what's the most relevant way in which I can speak to someone so yes in technical terms it is still marketing but my my internalization of it is a little bit different uh, and for me it's always you know the context of is it a cake that I'm representing and then what's the story that I want to tell around the the cake coming to life is it an event and in that case why should people know about that event so how do i want to position why oh that be good is being part of that event for instance and then in collaborations it's always always about why are we partnering together and why i think i want to put my name against another business as much as they've chosen to be putting their name against mine it sounds like marketing is sort of like the I guess the foundation of the business rather than a function of the business exactly mm. yeah yeah it's amazing and uh, one of the things we're really passionate about on the marketing show is I guess doing some that you, something that you love um, as, as your job and it's really inspiring to learn about the core pillars that you identified as interests mm -hmm. when you were starting oh that be good do you remember what it was like to I guess the pivotal moment of identifying all those pillars around writing and photography and how you came to the final idea to make the decision to start it uh, so I think I just started nice, uh, and then I looked to see whether there was validation for it. So whether did my writing style sync with the people that were coming to my page? Um, yes, you're sometimes drawn in for the photos, but you stay for the story, you know, um, and I find that in a platform like Instagram, which is where my majority of my presence is, um, that's where I'm telling my story. That's not necessarily where I'm trying to get you to buy. I'm going to get you to understand why you should buy from someone like me or someone that is similar to me. Um, and so I find that just always sharing like a little quirky anecdote about the cake and how it came to life actually lands a lot better. So initially I kind of just started going, here's this cake and here's a description of it. And it was like, yeah, cool. Like, there were people but then the more and more I started bringing myself to it and my journey um, and that's why oh that be good is all about confessions of a home baker that's never changed um, and that I feel like is because sometimes people look at what you're doing and think that you're perfect and you know the output may look like something that everyone thinks oh, that looks incredible but there's lots of imperfections or lots of learnings and maybe happy mistakes that go behind it. So for me, it was really important for people to understand that actually 
you can make mistakes, you can have a hard day, you can have a really great day, but it's all part of a journey and I wanted that transparency to come through. So then my messaging kind of shifted from just talking about the things to talking about me um, and anchoring it back to those confessions. So that's kind of always what I will come back to in anything that I speak to in my um, from my website through to Instagram and any sort of messaging that I do. It's like, okay, what, what's that thing that you want people to know? And forums like this uh, is also then tying in really nicely for me because I get to share a little bit more about my story as well. Yeah, totally. I think um, you know, you've, you've sort of given us a, a broad view of how people find you and the stories that they can read about. Just to take a step back, mm-hmm. how does your business actually generate income? What are the different ways that you actually sell something to someone who is interested in your business? Uh, so that big good started in 2016. No. Yeah, end of 2016. And at the time, it was just a going to be a blog. It was going to be where I documented things. Um, and then interestingly enough, Mark, um, you were one of my first customers back in July 2017. It was delicious. It was. And it's also the hero <laughs> image on my website. So if anyone's wondering what I'm talking about, the cake that is featured there is the one we made for your partner. Um, and so from there, it became, oh, people don't mind actually buying what they're seeing and I'm a flavor baker um, and I'm all about going back to what the ingredients are and heroing all of that so then I started actually creating my point of difference based on the flavors that I give because everyone's going to have a stylistic difference Mm. but then you come back to the core product and what's your eating experience what do you want to actually get out of it Um, and so then I started anchoring my cakes around that and then started focusing only on the selling of cakes. Um, So, and then in 2018, the goal was to try and get more wedding cakes on board and like position myself like someone who's legitimately someone who can be in that market and it started working. And the goal actually last year was just one cake a month. Like if you can have a consistent sale of one cake a month while you work and you do everything else, you're on a roll. So take that as a win. Um, And then this year I, ended up being made redundant from my role and I took a time out and that was back in March Um, and I had this idea that was sitting in my head around the fact that bridal showers and all of these events people love to get together and do something it's activity based so you almost have a PG version and then a slightly raunchier version (laughs) later on and the PG market um, had flower crowns as this big opportunity and so it was already validating a behavior that people like to come together and do something that was hands-on and it just felt like I wanted to take my cakes to this forum too but I didn't necessarily want to be that person who taught everybody to make the same cake in the same way all the time the biggest reason behind that is because I don't use the same method over and over again. And I, I find it hard if someone would come and say, can you replicate that cake again for me? Because it's all about being bespoke. Um, so that led me to actually uh, creating workshops. Um, and I originally started out with a design thinking approach. So I brought a few friends from work and home um, all together into my house, in fact, around this very table. Um, And we sat down and tested my idea of a petite cake decorating workshop. From that, we realized that people didn't just want an event in which to do this. They were just like, oh, are you just going to run these? Like, we'll come over and we'll grab a ticket and come and be part of it. So through that validation, it evolved into actually two offerings from what I started. So that brought in another income stream for that be good. So I have the cakes, which is my core offering. And then I have my workshops, which is where 
as someone who decided to invest some time alone in my business, I was finding it very isolating. So it was an opportunity to meet people. It was an opportunity to start pe helping people unleash their creativity, which was really important for me. Because again, when, when you come back to the fact that ultimately all of us are selling cakes, what makes us different, it's your stylist tendencies. Mm. And so helping everybody just feel like, hey, I can be creative too. You know, not, it was not just this thing that I did when I was a kid was really important. Um, and on top of all of that, as I was shifting from full-time work um, into the space of exploration, um, I decided to offer consultancy for small businesses like mine. And it was a very specific offering because I realized that we just happen to be really fortunate as people who've gone through the study of business and working in business that we have a lot of knowledge that is just inherent for us. Um, and then you speak to some of the others and they're the people who have the passion projects, but not necessarily the business skills. So if you could help them and overlay a little bit of that business rigidity that you already just know because of all the experience that you've had, then that could help them shift their businesses forward. So I do offer ad hoc consulting um, for small business as well as an additional income stream. Yeah, wow. it's super interesting. And I'm sure you're getting a lot of people who come to a workshop who then see the lifestyle that you have running your own yeah. business and get inspired. Uh, I'm hoping so. <laughs> uh, it's been like I have had the, the, you know, there's a lot of mums or first time mums that then decide, hey, I want to be able to bake my kids cake. And you don't need a lot of skill for that. You need something very basic. So coming to a workshop like mine gives them that confidence. And then, you know, people send you the photos of what they're mm. making after and you're just like, yes, I made a difference. <laughs> Venturing out into um, the workshops would have been such a big move because you'd gone from creating something yourself to then uh, empowering other people within a new environment and a new product offering. Do you remember what it was like to run your first ever workshop? Um, yes, outside of the testing one. Yeah. Um, I do. It was like... That first ticket sale was probably where I was like, okay, so people have said that they think this is good conceptually, they've come and tested it, but there was no, no exchange of dollar there, right? It was all about validation. Now it's time to see what happens. Um, and the first person that bought a ticket was somebody I knew from New Zealand, her partner, and he bought it for her as a gift. And that already validated for me that this was a great offering for gifting as well. And it's, it's called In Good Company. My workshops are branded as In Good Company because I want people to be able to be comfortable coming and gathering with strangers or have the opportunity to hang out with friends in a bit of a different way. Um, and that first workshop didn't sell out. We, we had one cancellation, I think, but we still ran it anyway. Um, and it was just, we, we gave away a free ticket then to somebody that was in the neighborhood and she was actually, someone recommended her and she was going through a particularly tough time. Um, and so she had this moment where she had two and a half hours where she could come and forget all about that and indulge in something. So all of those things just really spurred me on to keep doing this because it's just a cake decorating workshop for me, but the experience could mean something more to somebody else. Yeah, that validation moment of selling a ticket must be really, really cool. Yes. Um, and, and also, I imagine kind of scary at the same time. Yeah, because now you're just like, okay, we've got to make this work. <laughs> Actually have to do this <laughs> like, now. Yeah. Um, and, and it was the same for, so I have my in-home workshop, but it was also the mobile cake decorating workshop, like waiting for that first buy of it and then testing the entire process of remembering to take everything from your house. Mm. You don't have that comfort to driving and going to the place setting up in somebody's home making sure that works out 
when you get through it all and you're like, I got this. Mm. <laughs> Great. Um, I can do it again. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Really cool. Look, it sounds like there's a, a couple of really nice themes that run underneath the workshop. As you said, it's not just cake decorating. Mm-hmm. It can mean a whole lot more to different people. We noticed that you have uh, two key philosophies, uh, which is it's all in the moment uh, and it takes a village. Can you just run us through how they sort of underpin your business? Sure. Uh, so it's all in a moment is because as a cake decorator, you'll find that you put in nearly six to 10 hours sometimes on creating something from start to finish. Um, and the moment in which you present it to somebody and you see their reaction is priceless. Mm. But then there's also that moment in which your cake will get destroyed. <laughs> like you, you put all this energy into making something and then it gets cut. And you know you want people to cut it up. The second moment then comes for them in the tasting. So there are two ways in which you could really, you know, engage your audience in those instances. One is through the look and feel, um, and the other is through the tasting experience, and then the memory that that all ties in together. Um, it's also, the moment is really important for me is because I'm a bespoke cake maker, and you come and tell me a little bit about your story, you know, if it's a couple and their wedding, they'll tell me about things that are important to them and their journey. And we try and incorporate that in the final outcome. Um, and that could be flavors that could be slightly like little hints of a style or something like that as part of it. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're a mum with a child or a parent, you're, you're coming along and you're just going, actually, uh, my kid loves these things and I want that represented. So it's very important for them. And that also is part of the moment. Uh, it takes a village just came from the, just the understanding that a I didn't have to try and do everything on my own mm-hmm. and if I didn't have a florist and if I didn't have a great cake supply like cake equipment supplier and raw ingredient supplier I wouldn't be able to do what I do so every little part of what I am making is super reliant on other people so Every single time I make a purchase decision for my business, I'm actually impacting somebody else's. Um, And that's where it becomes more realistic when you're doing a small business versus when you're liaising with a supplier at a higher corporate level. Mm. Um, So that's the messaging I always wanted to put out because I am all about supporting the small business marketplace and wherever possible, I will shop local and support small. Mm. I have the caveat wherever possible because sometimes you have to go with practicality for you Um, and sometimes you have to go with cost and efficiencies Um, so that's where it's that whole idea of it's not about being perfect but it's about wherever you can make an impact you will make that commitment to have an impact yeah and I think on that note when we look at your background before oh that be good there's such a strong theme of sustainability in business Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about what sustainable business means to you and how you're keeping that alive uh, within the oh that be good framework as well sure so sustainability by definition is making something last for a long time and I think that at the moment in the world environmental sustainability is probably the most predominant way in which we think about it Um, but it extends to things that are far beyond that and for me business as a tool in which to keep sustainability alive just makes so much sense so if you run something as an enterprise and you make money um, and then you use that money to sustain something else for a longer period that seems like a really good cycle to be in Uh, and so that was that was what brought me into the exploration of the world of sustainability. 
Um, and the second part around keeping it alive through my business is the fact that it ties back down to that purchase decision. So if I can grow my business while supporting others, that's a huge win. So the only reason I could even start my workshop offering is because by signing up to an eco-ethical wedding blog, I was speaking to that founder and I was like, oh, I'm just looking for like a local supplier for edible flowers because the only one I know is in Melbourne and it's just a bit hard from the idea that I want to bring to life. And she goes, my best friend is a micro grower here in the central coast and i was just like what <laughs> um and that's what led us to connecting with hidden valley harvest who's my supplier and she's small in the sense of she is a small business but she does service a lot of restaurants and things like that but she hadn't entered the world of cake makers so i now order from her every month and for the next three weekends including today I've got her on my books for different things that I've got going on. So we've now got a mutually beneficial relationship. She helps me add value to my product, which enables me to bring the price point that it does. And I help her sustain her business um, and give her more people or a wider reach that she wouldn't normally have. So for me, that's where my business is really pivotal. I can help other people become more sustainable um, in terms of running what they do for a longer t time. And especially when it's something like edible flowers or even my freeze-dried fruit suppliers, they're doing something so different in the marketplace. Um, edible flowers, if you think about it, nature intended most things to be edible. Our practices as human beings impacted that ability for us to consume everything. So they're just taking it back to basics and reintroducing to everybody a consciousness around what you can and cannot have. Um, and then with the freeze-dried fruit, um, what's amazing is there's a new business in Australia that just started last year and they've skyrocketed because they're all locally grown mm -hmm. products. Um, but I've been working very closely with the New Zealand business that's been in market for over 10 years and you know we have a very good working relationship. Um, but they all have this opportunity to A, reduce waste with excess surplus of fruits, which happens a lot. Um, and then there, there was, for instance, Ribena, um, had to stop its production for a while and there was like all of these black currants that were in the market all these farmers that couldn't find anyone to purchase it so in came fresh as new zealand took all of that did the freeze drying process preserved a whole bunch of things that could have been wasted but also secured supply for those farmers so there was just really nice stories within that for me to keep feeling like I'm supporting this sustainability landscape, whatever way in which someone's chosen to conceptualize it. Yeah, wow. That's a cool story. I hadn't heard that <laughs> right really the story cool. before. But yeah, very cool. Um, look, it, you obviously have a lot of relationships with other suppliers, mm -hmm. which is, is a very nice win-win. Uh, but we also noticed when looking at sort of your social pages and some of the other work that you've done, that you have a lot of collaborations with people who are either bakers or other brands in the sort of dessert space. What's the intent behind doing those collaborations? They're very organic. Uh, it's mostly a synergy of value uh, that kind of brings them to life or an appetite to do something different. Um, so this year, I think I wanted to have like a steady stream of, you know, income coming from my business. And that's where like taking it back into my hands came with the workshops. Um, but then it also just turned out to be this year of incredible collaborations and I'm I guess that's me seeing my journey of my brand and how it's now authentic in the marketplace and it's kind of found its place for people to feel like they can connect. Um, it helps me just 
challenge myself as a creative and as a baker as well so particularly when it's product collaborations um, and somebody saying would you like to use my product and see what comes out of it um, that challenges me to really showcase their product in the best way possible and how will I reinvent my recipes and things like that uh, with collaborations it's mostly um, like if it's a online cake collaboration like a floral one that I ran uh, last month it was my first time running one but there it's just for getting everybody to be a little bit brave around your stylistic tendencies and just stepping out of your comfort zone or just really showcasing something that you're good at. But it all ties into community building. Uh, and tomorrow I'm running an event where I've come together with two other influencers um, who are in the South Asian wedding and event industry and food industry. Um, and for us, that is all about shining a spotlight on our culture and heritage. So... I guess it helps that I'm a Sri Lankan Kiwi baker, which is how I position myself. And um, I get to weave all of my identities into collaboration. And I think that's really important for me. Do you also find that it's helping to build your audience up where you're getting new sort of viewers through those collaborators that are coming to you and vice versa? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I was just looking at it actually before you came in today. Um, in October, I hit 2,000 followers and today I checked my numbers and I'm at 2,400. So that's like... Congrats. I know. I was just like, wait, I've actually gained 400 followers in a month. Um, And I've like never really had that happen before, but I hadn't also internalized it until I had to just check my stats to have this conversation. Um, All of those people came because of the collaborations that I ran or a cake that I've designed and put up there. Um, And... For me, I find them to be very sticky followers. So in Instagram, I'm sure you've experienced this too, if managing pages, but you tend to run certain activities and then you have this influx of people that come into you for that activity and then they dip off and you have this massive loss rate of loss. Interestingly for me, the nature of the partnerships that I've had this year, or even if it was a giveaway, the people that have come have still been very sticky. So I'm not, I'm not losing as many people, um, but it does mean that I have to put in the extra effort now to make sure that this is content that's relevant, that's something mm. that they want to be engaging with and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it works in my favor to get that exposure, but it's not the sole reason that I do it. Mm. Yeah, and on that note, we noticed that the world of cake designers, we've done a bit of research uh, for this episode, um, <laughs> is, is uh, there are amazing trends that flow through both in the cakes themselves, but also visually yeah. and the way they're portrayed. Is there a particular way that you stay in touch with all the different trends happening within the world of cakes? Oh, uh, for sure. I started my baking journey like 10 years ago when I was a uni student and it was a great way to make some money. And yeah. back then the designs used to be, you know, the novelty cakes where you'll make like Simba and all of these characters, but you're piping, <laughs> awesome. like you do that. So I used to do that. Um, and then I developed strain injury on my uh, hands from all the baking and then typing and everything with uni and, you know, our generation, go figure. Um, and then I was doing my honours here and I just had to take a time out because I couldn't actually physically cope with having to write and do all the things for that and then exert myself with the baking. So I had a bit of a break and then I moved here from New Zealand to um, Australia and all of that. And then I suddenly realised that the cake trends had changed. Like it was all about more finer finishes. It was not about the piping. And that was already conducive to the fact that I didn't really want to exert my self in a way that would obviously be detrimental to my passion 
Um, so that's when I started and at the time I just really loved the fact it was minimalistic but colourful and there was a lot of natural flowers starting to be used and the fondant trend was there but it was not the thing anymore and fondant and I don't have a great relationship, we'll just put that <laughs> as that. Um, and then in the last year I'd started seeing the edible flowers trend um, and I was just really keen to work with it. So I actually, when I went to London uh, earlier this year, I'd been following this baker called Blushing Cook. Um, she was probably one of the first people to bring out pressed edible flower cakes. Mm. And I was really, really curious to learn from her and understand a little bit more from her. Um, so I went and I did that. So you, I invest in myself in that mm. context. Like if there is something that I need to learn, let me go and learn it and then see if I want to adapt it into my repertoire or not. Um, and I was really fortunate to be able to lock her in for one of her first workshops in biscuit making, but that involved the flowers. So she really taught me a lot around how she does the, the pressing and what she needed to enable that for her and how she built her relationships. So I think yes i will always keep on board with styles but i will always try and make it my own so um, there are lots of incredible local designers like don't tell charles who i went she was one of the first workshops i went to and i was like super excited she sells out like crazy so i was one of those people like on my laptop waiting to hit the button wow. to buy one of those 10 tickets um, and i got in so just learning from others and drawing inspiration from others and then making it your own is so critical uh, so I think I'll continue to do that. But right now, like I'm experimenting with all the pressed flowers and the edible flowers. And that's, the, I think there's still a long way to take that for Australia at the mm. moment. And, and when you're looking at those trends and other bakers and what they're doing, how do you actually see, is it mostly through Instagram and social media or are there other places that you look? I think it's between Pinterest and Instagram. Mm. Uh, and then I'm cautious that... You know, on Pinterest, you're like, oh, if everybody's like, if that's the first hit, then everybody's seen that. So like, just keep diving in and diving in and find more people. Mm. Um, but I think for me, finding these, through these platforms, I find people that are inspiring and then I can watch their journey and then draw from that. Um, and so I'll pick my favorites mm. and then keep learning from them. It's fascinating. I think um, it's such a key trend that happens within any aspect of marketing, of mm. like looking for inspiration mm. and then deciding when to act and uh, create a new product. Is there a particular way that you decide when you want to try or experiment a new cake once you're inspired? Do you find it's more of an emotional response or is there a particular th thought process that goes behind it? It's just totally emotional and impulsive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, or, or it could be that something popped on my radar and I have to try it now. And I, I can get obsessive over the fact that I have to try something. So for instance, earlier this year in January, I'd just been thinking, I want to try chai cake. I want to try making a chai cake. And then it so happened that um, one of these women who's very predominant um, and a great business owner, Upma from Chai Wiley, um, she and I started, I was following her and then she and I started talking. She moved to Sydney. We started really chatting and I was like, I'm just going to buy some of your product and I am going to do that chai cake. Um, and then I created it and like experimented and then she shared it and everything. And then tomorrow for my event, now I've got chai cakes uh, and I've got a wedding cake order that is for a chai cake. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's purely, I think those things would go really great together. And then halfway through this year, I just decided that I wanted to try like, freeze-dried cherries inside a cake but not in that way that you know a black forest cake is made so what if I do all of these things and I gave it like to one of my friends um and they loved it my sister's not a big cake eater so one cake she'll just keep eating so 
lots of points of validation there. Um, so it's always just an impulse and just going, I think these things would work together and I'm going to back myself. So not always on trend maybe, but it's good enough for me. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're seeing what everyone's doing and getting all that inspiration, you're probably best placed to come up with those new ideas. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that the the product testing phase of the <laughs> innovation process is, is uh, very exciting and delicious. And one. we also know two available volunteers that are always happy. Um, <laughs> well, actually, help. Mark used to be um, a volunteer. <laughs> when I was working with you guys, um, Mark had to be subject to a lot of cake testing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a tough time. Tough time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of hard work long hours went into that yeah it sounds sweet <laughs> it's a pretty sweet gig yeah uh, okay so um we, we've heard a little bit about your background and where we know you from and then sort of going into oh that be good and that sort of launch period we often think about that as like the the trapeze where you've mm-hmm. got one hand on the the old trapeze or the current yep. trapeze and you're reaching out to the yep. new one can you walk us through what that was like for you I think I felt like I was pushed or nudged a little bit in that direction by naturally having a redundancy in place. Um, and I, I kind of took it with both arms. I was like, yes, I am going to take this as what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had about six months to mentally prepare myself while still being employed. And I also used that time for learning and setting myself up. So I did design thinking courses. I started making sure all my marketing material mm-hmm. for my business and everything was there. So I kind of had one foot in the door and out the door and just like that your your analogy was I was holding on to both I hadn't let go of one just yet and I think for sometimes as startups we we kind of get caught up in this concept that we stop everything and we start the next Mm -hmm. thing but actually you could do things parallelly and like leverage the learnings from one world as you're transitioning into the other and so that was really like I played it safe for myself in that way Mm. um and then when it came to March uh when I finished and like the last day of March was like, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to see how I feel because I'm going to wake up and know that I have nothing else but my business. Mm. Like there's going to be nowhere else to go, nowhere else that's going to pump in any money for me. It is just going to be myself. Um, and I was really nervous about that day, but I woke up and I was the happiest person ever. <laughs> um, and just to know that, oh my gosh, that didn't freak me out was great. Mm. Um, but a huge part of that was a support network that I had. Like my parents had to take a little while to go from you really want to not do anything for a minute and I'm just like yep to them becoming huge champions of that uh my husband being the person who would have to take on the financial side of this risk of my investment in myself um took a little bit of coming around but I think it was again like because we're also conditioned to expect that this is the way in which the world should go we have a nine-to-five job we do this we have careers that span a long time and then you get to a certain point and you retire and in between there there are all of these milestones like find a partner get married buy a house in whichever order you want to do that in maybe you have a family and those are all the conventional Mm. pathways but we're in the midst of a generation that's actually really challenging that so you know, where once upon a time for a Sri Lankan Muslim woman like myself, by the time you're 30, you surely should have been married and perhaps popped a few kids and been focusing on your career, you know. But even our culture shifting and women are really redefining the norms and men equally. Um, So for me, it was just having that backing of my family um, to really like then take that step and let go was really important and 
I think when you have your friends also standing there going, oh, this just sounds like the best thing ever for you and, and really validating that and then keeping you sane with coffees and meetups and making sure you're not alone through this process. Um, that was really important for me. But the other thing that I did do was uh, I made a commitment that I was going to start meeting people for coffees and understanding what the world around me looks like because I've been so focused on the world that I was in. Um, I was working in a regional role for Southeast Asia. So I had been looking across the world, but never inside Australia. And I started needing to know more about Australia and what's out there. So that commitment led me to do a series of coffees. And the commitment was always, I'll meet someone. I need to be able to get two more introductions from them. So from January, I was on the best caffeine high because uh, <laughs> I had several coffees all the way through till around July when I started um, moving into my new new role as a consultant. Um, and that was really pivotal as well. It just gave you the confidence that you are being proactive um, as you're going through that change. So it was okay to then let go um, at the end of March, let go of the world that I knew and the comfort that I knew and then just try. Mm. Yeah, I think it's uh, for like anyone listening or even for ourselves that that moment of like, maybe I wanna go and do my own thing and, and we're not all gonna be uh, sort of given a redundancy to give us that wake up call to go, maybe yeah. it's time to do it. I think there's some really great learnings there about, you know, if you do decide to make that decision even for yourself uh, without someone sort of pushing you to do it is having that support ne network mm. and, and getting those coffees because I could imagine, yeah, for people who don't have that around them, they could feel very lost and be yeah. very quick for them to start thinking, oh, it's not working, I need to do something else. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's also a beautiful philosophy to business. Like, you, you know, we forget that we're doing this in our day-to-day -day lives and it just makes it so much richer. So mm. um, definitely if anyone's listening to the show and wants to meet us for a coffee or, or Afro, please reach out. <laughs> we'd, we'd, lo we'd love to connect with you guys. Um, on that note, Afro, when you were, I guess, setting up your, you know, you'd woken up for your first day and, and, you, and you were really focusing on the business, was there a particular way that you found that you were going to uh, target your core consumer and identify them? No. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm one of those people that has everything in my head as a concept and then I just got, let me try that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not a well thought out strategy in that sense. Whereas I know other people that have it, like they've got their budgets, they've got everything, but I'm just like, oh, that's a great opportunity. Do I have the money? Yes, I'm gonna try that, you know? Um, and everyone's different and it, it just depends on what's comfortable for you. Uh, but in terms of like, who is my target consumer? It's really fascinating with cakes because the person that wants just a vanilla cake, right? and coming to Oh That Be Good is probably not my target consumer. And the reason I say this is because I am a flavor baker. My pricing and offering is bespoke. So when you, when you get, there are a few tells. When you get that order just a week before and someone's like, I want my vanilla cake and I just want you to put all of these things on it and go, you know, make this for me. And you're just like, you're not that person. Because a person that comes to me is a person who's engaged me months in advance, has had these conversations with me around what they want, have been proactive around understanding what I do in terms of flavors, or been willing to have me you know, prescribe to them based on their wants and interests. So I have this, the consumers are people who are very invested in, um, in telling stories or, or in showcasing themselves through something like a cake and making it really complete. Uh, and they're also people that are not always thinking about it. So I can, I don't advertise for my cakes on any of the platforms because 
you don't instantly need a cake. So just because I've advertised, I'm never going to know whether, when the reward is going to come. So you will only ever need a cake when you have a special occasion and when you have something. So what I want to be is that person that you remember at that time in which you need a cake. Uh, so my target consumer is someone like, uh, I went for a job interview, I didn't get the job, that one of the people at that interview was getting married. Two weeks before her wedding, something went wrong with the person that she had in mind for the cake. They remembered me, right? So I didn't get the job, but they remembered my business and it had resonated with them. They contacted me and within two weeks we made sure that she had her wedding cake. So that's the sort of person that will recall, oh, that be good, because they've understood exactly what I do and they want to invest in something. And it is an investment, but we all, as cakers, you could sit there and want to outprice each other because we're all targeting similar sort of people. But for me, I'm not targeting everybody. I'm targeting that person that wants to invest in a story, that wants to invest in me as a brand as well. Um, and understands that value comes not just from the flour, butter, milk, sugar and eggs, which if you, you know, equate to a dollar, hey, that's not very expensive. I can take that and make something on my own. Why are you charging me what you do? Well, it's because I charge you for my experience, my time invested, the mistakes I've made so you don't have to make it. And the absolute savings in time, which you may not have to put to making this come to life for yourself. So... Yeah, they're, they're those highly invested individuals and I, therefore I'm not a volume baker. Um, I bake a few cakes and I put all my energy into it. And that's a way in which to safeguard my passion because I don't want to ever have to hate it. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And when you when you find a niche as well, it, it means that you can sort of charge yeah. more because people who are there are invested and do want something different. Uh, I always think about uh, your business as well is kind of like like champagne or something that you give as a gift that says a lot about the person who gives it yeah. uh, to the receiver. So if you give someone one of your cakes, which is beautifully designed and has a story behind it, it's, it's such a strong message to the person that they've given it to or the occasion that they uh, have that cake at. Um, speaking of, I guess, building that sort of, I guess we call it brand saliency yeah. uh, and Professor Byron Sharp, I think would be very proud of oh, you, of, of, thank how, you. <laughs> of how you built up that, that uh, saliency and people remember you when they want a cake. Um, there's lots of different platforms to sort of build that through. You've got personal relationships, but then you mentioned that Instagram's really big for you and Pinterest as well is, mm -hmm. is one for you, which I have very little experience mm -hmm. with Pinterest. Are you able to uh, give us a bit of a breakdown of, uh, you said Instagram is really important, but where else people come from when they see those, uh, those stories being told and maybe like a rough percentage of they come from Instagram or Pinterest or other places? I haven't optimized Pinterest, so there's definitely like zero coming to me from <laughs> Pinterest unless one of my partners have shared something. Mm. So um, if I'm on a wedding blog and they've shared some of my content, then it's potentially coming from there. Mm. Um, I think majority are at the moment coming from Instagram. Yeah. So I would probably say 60 to 80% are coming from there. Mm. Uh, and that's where the conversion is happening. So it's you find this person that's you know, got cakes there, but then the story, the behind the scenes, making sure that everybody's aware of, you know, what my kitchen looks like and how I'm doing things, all of that kind of ties into them then making that purchase decision. Mm. Um, I have a lot of referrals as well. Um, once, you know, someone's tasted a cake and it's actually great when um, 
you you go to an event and you're present as well and then you know you watch people go through the journey of eating your cake and tasting it and then like you know from last year where I made somebody's baby shower cake for instance and this year when I went for the kids first birthday in that year I'd had enough customers that I was at that party going on so I made that cake for that person and I made that cake for that person so referrals are really huge for me um, and it's it's that tasting right it's like sometimes you just want to know that the product's good so the forum in which you can sample and taste is there um, I do activities like tasting boxes um, so I always anchor it around a couple that may have a want for their wedding and then I just open it out to public so I can get that sampling going as well so sampling is there but the sampling is also quite organic um, I do have my blog and my email list, but at the moment I'm just focusing on building it because I just realized that I, I love to write and I'm writing, but there's not necessarily anyone who's invested in the content wanting to pull it just yet. Uh, and therefore my workshops and the mailing list that I'm building is now gonna give me that platform for next year when I can focus a little bit more or, or refocus rather, going back to doing the recipes and things that I loved because I think the people that would want to know more about it are now present in my list. So that's my focus as well. Um, yeah, it's it's not very scientific. The more I talk to you, I realize that my business is just me winging it. Sounds like you've got it all worked yeah, out Yeah, sounds us. like you're doing it really well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on, on that note, um, is there a role that third-party websites like classbento.com.au play in driving people to your business as well? It's something I'm testing. No. Uh, so yet like i i have signed up in the in this year it was also about featuring myself in a few other platforms so i'm signed up to the maharani diaries which is also the person I'm running an event with tomorrow um so she's got a south asian focused wedding blog and i've come on board as one of the featured suppliers for cakes um and then less stuff more meaning that's the eco-ethical wedding blog and i've come on board with them and my edible flower cakes in particular synergize really well with that so that people can find me through these platforms and when they share my content and things like that plus bento was me essentially going look instagram and facebook are great but advertising on them requires a lot of money it's not actually conducive to a small business but this is me from my perspective if other people have won it please contact me and let me know how you're doing <laughs> but um i just feel like the analogy that i've been using with a lot of people is that i'm standing in a open space and there are people walking past me and i'm screaming at the top of my voice but nobody hears me mm. that's what it's been feeling like every time i've tried to advertise and not converted through yeah. instagram or mm. facebook advertising I mean, this is particularly in context of my workshops because for cakes, they're fine because they'll come to me later on. I'll, mm. I'll get that ROI later. But for workshops where I need that instant decision and the purchase, it's really difficult. So Class Bento was me thinking, oh, I wish there was a platform where, you know, everybody who had a workshop can advertise it. And I was like, surely there should be one that exists. And Class Bento came into my radar. Um, and so for me, a platform like that is where, well, actually the person that's coming in has already made a decision that I want to be part of a workshop. So I don't have to fight to try and find mm. that person with that decision. All I then have to do is position my offering in a way that in everything and every other activity that they can do, they'll, they could choose mine. Class Bento as a platform though resonated with me because um, they have a huge focus of donating the profits to Alzheimer's research. Mm because one it's a startup and social enterprise as well one of the insights that came from their formation is that in order to prevent diseases like alzheimer's and things like that being active in a creative way switching off your phones as a generation is really important so let's create that space for people to be there and we don't need to actually 
make those events happen. There's plenty of people making those events happen. Let's let people know about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I s did speak to the co-founder when I signed up, they contacted me, it was a really great experience. And then they're gonna position my workshops for selected events if they want to as well. So those sort of things, again, even though it's a third party platform, it's that relationship that the founders sought to build or the owners have sought to build with me that actually gives me more credibility because mm -hmm. I'm front of mind in those contexts as well. It's such a cool yeah. community of social enterprises that sort of can help each other out and, yeah. and simultaneously grow. And um, when it comes to design and branding, it's something we've also noticed you provide an excellent amount of value with, with your really, really well-designed uh, social posts and other yeah. elements of creative on your website. Is there, a, is there a particular way that you went out to, to build your visual brand as well? ties back into what we were talking about at the beginning which is I feel like it's an extension of me yeah. so I I love the rustic feel of everything and so incidentally I made sure that when we were furnishing our place that it had things that were conducive that I could then use as part of my brand and the extension of my brand um I call it rustic elegance mm. uh so there'll always be something beautiful but it will be surrounded by you know, burlap and a little bit of a mess around it and things like that. And it was also a way in which to just stand apart from a lot of the cake world where um, everything's really white mm. and very like, I guess everyone's got so much on, so they are going to be creating images quickly. And so theirs is all white and very, mm. you know, um, clean and just focuses only on the cake. Whereas, cause I like photography. I wanted that to come across as well, that, you know, I am actually putting some energy and time into it and it's because I enjoy it. It's not because, it's not for everybody, yeah. but it, it's, a, it's a, another manifestation of something that I love. So I wanted to commit to it. Um, and then it just so happened that I started just keeping it really simple for myself. So A was when I, you know, furnish my house. I just made sure that wherever I could put a cake on and take a photo still synced really quickly with the brand. Um, the few principles that I always had was there'll always be some burlap. It'll always be white with as a base so that it's easy resharing. Because if you think that everybody's platforms are also going to be rather white, then you need to have enough of it that can be reshared by one of your suppliers, for instance. So the content should be able to fit their grid really nicely and things like that. Um, and there will always be something green and natural because everything that I work on is um, with fresh flowers and things like that. So those are the principles that you'll see tied into yeah. everything. And that kind of keeps me honest as well <laughs> to, um, to work on things. Um, and just to make those wins really quick, like I travel a lot and I bake wherever I travel. So I actually decided I'm investing in a white cloth. Mm. So it's just really little things yeah. that mm. the white cloth can go with me. It can be scrunched up in a bag. It's not very heavy. It can be there. My brand sign sits on a little easel to the point that my workshop participants will be like, where's that little easel, you know, <laughs> that I can take the photo with? And I was like, I did not realize that it was so <laughs> ingrained. And I have things like wood and engravings and things like that. So that just all ties into my brand. And actually the plant behind you um, has become a very happy hero in all of my photos now for something green. It's, it's like you've created your own little media wall for, yes. for the events that people can take their Instagram photos <laughs> with. It, it's something I've been asked quite a bit uh, and I've been doing a bit of work with an actress, which obviously yeah. you've had a history with uh, when they're starting projects and, and they go, how do you build a brand? Like, yeah. how, how does it look and feel? And I, I think that's such a great learning is we all sort of advise who's the consumer, what are they interested in, mm -hmm. how can you sort of personify them and then make a bit of a brand guideline out yeah. of it. But I think the point you make around 
thinking about yourself as yeah. the founder of a business is what am I about? And is that if I can make it as much about me as possible, then people are going to be attracted to that. It's going to be a truly authentic relationship. Yeah. And it's less work for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't have to, you don't have to fake it. Um, but on that, so you've spoken about how you came up with those principles. Do you have any specific design tools that you use to create content for yeah. Oh That Be Good? Uh, I just, a lot of apps really. Uh, so Lightroom is where my newest photo editing software that I'm relying on, um, just because it's great for batch processing. But mm. I, um, I decided quite early on that if I made everything really easy for me to do, then I'm going to do it more often. So for instance, photo editing had to be something that can be done via my phone. I do not want to sit on a laptop after having sat at a laptop all day for work. I'm usually coming home and going, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So photo editing had to be there. So Lightroom is one of those. Um, there's so many great story Instagram story tools. Mm. Um, and for me, Instagram stories is really important because that's the behind the scenes. That's showing people how cakes come to life, what I'm up to. Uh, and so the latest app that I've just been using is Unfold. Uh, they're really great. You can just have templates, you can copy everything, and then you're just subbing in content. Um, and they introduced a background that was like all burlappy and perfect for me. And I was like, yes, I will be with you forever. <laughs> so, so yeah, so just finding those, um, you don't need to have a lot, mm. but finding enough of those. And like, for instance, Instagram has a hyperlapse function um, I, I, I try to do everything offline and then upload online. I don't really like doing things on the fly, um, like trying to like video something yeah. right now. Because for instance, when you're baking, you've got so many activities going on, you actually can't be uploading at the same time. Mm. Um, and I want my content to be a little bit more curated and thought out so people are not just looking at something and scrolling, but they'll have a moment to read. And that gives you a feel for me as well. Mm. And for any uh, startups or entrepreneurs that are listening right now and are kind of staring at a blank screen and thinking, I have to create a brand <laughs> right now, is, are there any particular tips that you would give to someone starting out for the first time? Start somewhere. Yeah. So don't expect that you're going to put something on that piece of paper that is going to be perfect from the beginning. The easiest way to probably learn and pivot, 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 as you would stay in, say in startup world is try something, experiment, validate, learn quickly, move on, right? Worst case scenario is that you've just said something in a way that didn't really resonate with everybody else, but you've quickly shown that you've changed that. So I, I would say that you get really caught up sometimes in trying to come up with the best way to say something and the right word to use and the right color and everything. Yeah. But if you've got enough of the sense of it, of what you want it to feel like, trust your gut. Uh, and often you can use that as a way to learn thereafter. Maybe later on you'll find that your instinct was all wrong or all right, who cares? Um, at least you've moved in some way. I feel that the biggest thing that can happen to many of us is that we're just stuck on an idea and we're just too afraid to start because you just don't know where to start. Yeah. So just to remove that barrier, it will be take a little thing, try it out, see what it looks like, you know, because sometimes everything could look really great in your head but until you've translated it into something, it's not, it's not something you know. Well, we've spoken about uh, previously that uh, you're sort of like a, a brand founder or a brand CEO that it's, it's very much inherent in when people engage, you know, that'd be good. They're sort of engaging with you mm -hmm. personally. Uh, we noticed on your social media images that it looks like, and we might be wrong here, that there might've been a conscious decision to start featuring your face, a human face 
more often. And when we, when we looked at the stats and did a bit of analysis, the posts that feature your face actually get way more likes than the ones that don't. Yeah. Was that something that was uh, thought out uh, before and that you actually optimized or was it just by chance? Uh, it was, I, it ties back into it's, it's an extension of me, but then I had to be comfortable showing mm. myself. And I think it, there was a point at which I started believing in the fact that I actually had something of value to showcase mm. and that helped me have that confidence. So until I probably had that confidence, you didn't see a lot of me. Um, and even showing my face behind the camera, um, you know, with like all my baking gear on, not necessarily made up or anything. It was just like, ah, do I do it? Do I do it? Do I do it? And my sister was just like, do it. People want to know what things look like. And that just increased engagement massively. Um, so, and then all, of course, there's a lot of Instagram analytical stuff that I sign up to like Planoly later, all of them, just their mailing lists. Even if you just don't need, don't have a lot of time, just being there and getting these monthly updates about this is my, this might be something that's happening. Yeah. Mm. All of that tied into the fact that people are just looking to understand who are the people behind the brands. And we're as a small business, that's really easy in the large corporate, who the hell are you going to show? Right? Mm. So for me, I was like, okay, it, it's great. I, I think mm. I can show me, but I always want to show me with a cake. Um, so that it's less about me, but there's also some item mm. that is present. But I'll also only show me in relevant to a context. So the photos that you will see will be like when I hit my thousand followers milestone and nearly burnt down my house while I took sparkler photos. <laughs> you know? um, and you can see the burlap burning, <laughs> just saying. <Whoa. laughs> and then um, when I made like one of my friend's cakes in Sri Lanka and I got to take a photo with it because it was like somebody else was there to take a photo of me and I had to put it up there because I was just like, oh, I never get to always take photos with me. Mm. Um, but the other thing that I like to do is carry my cakes and you'll see that it's not necessarily featuring myself altogether, but it shows that there's a human being present behind it. Mm. Um, and I really like those photos when I have a moment, you know, set up my tripod and do all of that and get those photos. I really enjoy doing that because it, um, it just showcases to the audience that, hey, this is all like somebody's behind this and they're putting all this energy and effort. Mm. Uh, I, I did have to try do that with a 12 kg cake once, Whoa. like taking myself the cake and I because I succeeded it went up there <laughs> I was like, yes. um, so yeah it's it's really funny it's um it's one of the it's a journey that Mark and I have also been on with our podcast that mm. when we first started the show um our podcast cover photo was um yellow on some black text and some early listeners might remember that and uh when we started pivoting and creating new content uh, with our faces and putting ourselves out there we found that lots of people really enjoyed and engaged with that content because they mm. could come along the journey so so yeah. it's a really, really interesting point. But like you said, it, it's a really challenging decision to make when you first take that step out there. Oh God, yeah. And I think having the confidence to do it and for anyone listening is just to, yeah, get out there, show your face and, and uh, yourself in context and yeah, show what work you're creating. Um, Mark and I always have conscious decisions as to whether or not I'm going to put gym selfies up on our um, <laughs> on our page. But I think taking those lessons around um, <laughs> the right context is, is probably the, the right balance <laughs> to do it. Um, on that note, Afro, you, uh, you're someone that, you know, is doing so much at the moment. You're, you're building such an amazing brand and business and you've got a lot going on. Are there any personal routines or rituals you find that keep you at your best to help you perform? Uh, yeah, so I used to really complain that we moved all the way over the bridge and I have a 50-minute commute into work before. But now my 50-minute commute is amazing because I get to do things mm. <laughs> in that. So it's this time where like I'm not 
I don't have any home things at home to worry about and all of that and I can just get things done so wherever you have those windows of opportunity where like for some people the train ride is all about switching off and that used to be it for me um, at the moment though in order to increase efficiency with everything that I've got going on which is just the transition that I'm in um, I used windows like that to optimize so there's mm. guaranteed hour and a half every day where I know I can focus on something and get things done uh, I also happen to be someone that like all of these things sometimes live in my head and I then get caught up with like, oh crap, I forgot that idea and that idea and that thing. How about that thing? So I just write it down. Mm. Um, it also helps you stop being distracted by that for the rest of the day as well, mm. particularly when you're in a context where you shouldn't be <laughs> really putting your energy <laughs> into it. So I have like to-do lists, which I just call life admin, literally, yeah. and I just pop things in there. So that way I'll just remember that, oh, I have to order that, oh crap, I wanted to write that thing. Or when inspiration hits in context of all my writing, I'll write it down instantly. And I just use my phone for that. So tools that will enable you to get there really quickly use what you have don't necessarily try and reinvent the wheel like i don't want to carry another notebook mm. everywhere so that's what i do um and just i think finding things that are already out there that will make life easier for me is really important for me to add to my routine which is why i said lightroom for instance for editing it means that i can take one and apply it across all my photos and only tweak a little bit so i've halved my time in things like that so i would very consciously make sure that i pick tools um, that are important and then i have to admit that having a business that's from home and then trying to also run home is something I have to be very mindful of so um, as much as possible I would plan my week in a way that you know if I knew that I had a heavy load of baking I'll kind of split it up during the week cooking food to make sure that we're well fed instead of just cakes <laughs> in the fridge um, so I, I just front end that a little bit or, or maybe do one little thing each day so that it gets me there and that's just how I manage my sanity um, and my husband's been really accommodating. I have to give him that <laughs> uh, with everything that I've going, got going on. The thing that usually sometimes falls is, you know, as a woman running house. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of relationships uh, and support, uh, we're big believers that having those people around you and you mentioned before uh, your support network yeah. uh, is really important. Uh, do you have any particular relationships, any of those people you got coffee with or family members who have really been pivotal in sort of keeping uh, the business alive? Yeah, so uh, I have to first probably give kudos to my sister for workshops because it's only after she moved here to Australia that she was just like, oh, I'm here to help you. So why don't you just get this done? Like start trialing um, and having someone like her on board and just knowing, I mean, it's your sister, your sibling, you can trust, it's easy. Um, and I, of course I pay her, so she's fine. <laughs> but um, that was really important for me. So having someone very much like present um, and then like my husband choosing that, hey, actually run this at home. Don't go and pay for a venue, like do it at home. It's, it, that was critical. Like those sort of little things that people can do for you are just absolutely important. Mm. Um, and for me, I'm just very close to my family and my extended family and my parents. And our culture is one that, you know, success actually looks like having a doctor, lawyer, engineer job. Yeah. Mm. Um, so breaking the norms is not, I mean, it's not that it's not favorable. It's just, it's not normal. 
right? Mm. So then just having people around you that validate it and are so supportive and encourage you and then up constantly checking in. So it's not like this thing that you do, that cake thing that you do. It's like, how's your business going? You know, asking those questions and just being there really supporting you in a way that validates what you think is going to be good was really critical uh and friends i think everybody who just goes hey let's do an interview with you because we think what you're doing actually has value is like yes <laughs> i'm getting something right um but also just the friendships that you know keep you sane or will probably come and send friends your way for anything that you need to sell or will spread the word or, you know, it's it's not always easy. You, you sometimes have to really hustle hard and who are willing to kind of be texted and told things that they may not be needing to hear. But just as I'm spreading the word about something, they'll just silently take it all, you know, mm-hmm. just so I can feel like I am moving forward. Uh, so, yeah, so every little bit of support network that you can find is great. Um, and for me, when I then take away all of, you know, the friends and family sort of relationships in during my coffees, the fact that a lot of people just thought, hey, why don't you just do the cake business? Like, why are you trying to find yeah. another job? And the people that said that to me was also really great because it just made you think, you know, what I'm doing has legs. Um, and I, I know that the only reason I'm doing it as a half and half is because I like servicing both of my passions. I like thinking differently in the world of business and I like having a creative outlet. So mm-hmm. that's my choice choice consciously Um, and I got to present at a forum in August um, about the SDGs and I got SDG 11 you know sustainable cities and communities and I got to showcase my business for the very first time to an audience um, that was actually business people that I would never usually talk about my business to so all of those little things where people just go I think you've got something and we're going to do a tiny act whether it is telling other people about it liking a photo whichever it is, is really, really important. Mm. And then on that note, you've obviously achieved so much and so much more to come as well, whether that be good. Uh, Are there any other moments that you look back on that you're really proud of outside of the business? Personally, uh, if it helps as an example, I'm really proud of my uh, year seven school camp uh, dance battle, which I did really, really well at. Um, Yeah, it's it's still talked about (laughs) many, many years after. Um, I, I actually am just really proud of when I joined Unilever and I went through my first year and found it very hard that I chose to stay, um, and keep going through it because it then led me to a job that was my dream job working in the sustainable business team for Southeast Asia. And it was a lot of hard work and convincing and everything. And I still think that as take that as a huge win for me because, um, I'd just been talking about how much I wanted to impact the world of sustainability and then for a whole bunch of people at work to think that I'd learned enough of the skills and then push me towards that role was really important. So that was like a big one. I know it's not as cool as your dance battle, but um, it was really important to me. I feel like it's (laughs) definitely up there. (laughs) But it's a great point is those those things that you feel like are really tough at the time, really build perseverance. And I guess that grit that everyone talks about, that's, that's really it. So it really sets you up for success in whatever venture is next. Um, But moving on from that, uh, one of the things we know here on The Marketing Show that it's really important for us to stay uh, aware and open and curious in the world because if we do that, we'll be uh, in our best sort of mindset to do really great business and really great marketing. So on that note, Afra, what have you found interesting this week? (laughs) I think I'm going to have to talk about human behavior. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm a student of psychology and, you know, I've, I've had all of that exposure. 
Uh, and this week we've been trying to sell tickets to an event, which the tickets have been running for like two months. And it was the same for my workshops. I had like this date was set months ahead and we we're finding it really hard to get people to bite. So for uh, my workshops, I just spoke to a few people and they said, hey, this date might work better for me. And I put it out there and suddenly there was like this massive interest and it was literally changing by one weekend. And I just sat there going, I don't know what people have got going on. Everything that I assumed about them in context of, hey, it's November before Christmas. Let's use this time. Hit come December, nobody's going to want to do anything. Like it's Christmas. The spending is going to change. It was all challenged because now I'm running my workshop in December. And then similarly for our event, we were like trying really hard to get advertising going and, you know, Facebook advertising was not converting. So we started just sending personal messages and invites to people. And that started converting and heavier baskets as well. But then today we sold out yesterday, but then today we've had like six or seven people go, oh no, I wanted to buy a ticket for your event and it sold out. And I was just like, but you've known for so many months. So for me, it's kind of going, how do we as businesses like actually really understand what's going on in the minds of our consumers and then kind of accommodate for it, but not as a cost to you. Mm. Like you have a tension point, right? Like you'll, you'll have to make a decision about catering and costs and paying people. But at the same time, people may need a little bit more time for decision making and there's something else going on in their thought mm. process. So I'm just stumped. Yeah, <laughs> and I just wanted to say that it's not that interesting, but in context of trying to figure out what's driving people. For me, I was just like, I'm fascinated by this and I want to explore it a little bit more and I don't know where I'm going to do that. But that's kind of like that little niggly thing at the back of my mind this week. It's like, how do you, how do you win this? Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, that's a tough one to crack after. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think on the spot of, of when I've had an event coming up that I wanted to go to and maybe I hadn't signed up and what triggered me. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's funny because you, you don't think about what's going on on the other end where they have to actually organize the events yeah. and pay yeah. people and things. And uh, I think for me, one of the things that's worked in the past is being able to like tap uh, like interested button in Mm -hmm. an email or something like that and then it sends you a reminder probably at that moment in time when Mm -hmm. it's like hey uh you know you need to sign up by today the other thing i think you could do is use that story you just told us of (laughs) hey there's heaps of stuff we need to decide and you're holding us (laughs) 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 i think get them to have some empathy and and then they might book yeah can definitely hold into that uh human truth i think It's awesome. Well, on that though, um, Mark, what have you found interesting this week? So I've got uh, um, a book I read, which I actually wasn't going to share on the podcast because I thought it might be a bit, a bit naff. Uh, people might judge me for it, but I've decided I'm going to share it. And there's a specific reason why. So the the book is called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins, um, our father, Tony Robbins, uh, as we like to call him. Uh, and and I read it because it, it felt like one of those things where it's like, oh, I've heard so much about Tony Robbins in media. Yeah. I've never read one of his books. And I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to, you know, give him the chance and read from someone who's, you know, learned a lot and wants to share. And uh, I actually really enjoyed it. I think, you know, the writing style itself was probably not my favorite type of writing yeah. style, but I can see why it resonates with people. And there's a few learnings that, you know, you always take something, one or two things from everything you read. But the reason I wanted to share it today is that I noticed throughout the week, both in work and outside of work, there are lots of senior business leaders who make these subtle references to books like Tony Robbins' books uh, in speeches and in addresses to companies and even in the media. And if you've 
read the books, you'll pick up on it. And if you haven't, you never will. Yeah. And, and there's a few that I've found uh, that really, really uh, get used a lot. So one would be Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant. One would be uh, the Seven Habits book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's A Good to Great by Jim Collins is one that I keep hearing reference that yeah. I need to now go and read. So uh, it's just one of those things is, I guess, something I've learned this week is if you read the books, even if you don't think it will be something you enjoy, it will put you on the same playing field as some other people who might be important to you and that you want to be able to have those conversations with. So bit of a bit of a shout out for Tony Robbins, which I didn't expect to give. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's it, it's almost funny, right? Like we all go through our business careers where we almost stumble across that secret le- reading list. Mm. And it's almost like this unofficial business book club. Um, and there's a really interesting blend between, I guess, the traditional business books and almost these new style tech books, which are coming out yeah. as well. And I think the thing that's really beautiful about that is even within the emerging industries like the world of tech, you have particular books like Four Hour Workweek or Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And they're really emerging in you, but you still have those same people that are also going back and reading these business books from yeah. the 1980s like Tony Robbins. And yeah. it's cool that it's all coming together. And yeah, if you can form a new connection, like it's really, really cool. Yeah, exactly. Power to you. Exactly. Well, Mark, what about you? Well, uh, it's quite high energy. So um, this week I uh, have been listening to a new R&B mixtape called Chicks Tape 5. And it's C-H-I-X Tape 5. And it's by an artist named Tory Lanes, And that he spells his name L-A-N-E-Z, if you're going to listen to it on Spotify after this. Um, and the reason I found this really fascinating this week is that uh, Tory Lanes is uh, a pretty established R&B slash rap artist within the, uh, the world of the urban music scene. Um, and he's been releasing these passion project mixtapes outside of his usual albums. And um, I recently got served it on my on my Spotify feed. Yeah. Um, and the reason I found it so interesting is that he's taking lots of cuts of early uh, 2000s R&B songs and made new beats out of them. And he's then rapped or has done some singing over those beats. Mm-hmm. And the reason I found it so interesting is that a lot of those songs were songs that I had listened to in high school that he has reworked throughout the entire course, course of this mixtape. And he's also shot, started to shoot music videos dressing in the similar dress that you would have dressed at in the early 2000s. And the reason I find it so interesting is that it's one of the first times I've uh, experienced a genuine sense of nostalgia, um, especially from a pop culture sense. And it was this really interesting kind of transition moment generationally of, I guess, a lot of millennials starting to experience this too of, wow, I experienced a certain period of time when I listened to this song or, or watched this movie or even dressed like this. Um, and it was a really new emotion to feel. Um, so really interesting to, to dive into that a little bit more and kind of explore what stage of life I'm at and why I was having these, these, these emotional connections to these different songs and even these visuals. So yeah, really interesting new personal learning journey to go through and, and experience nostalgia for the first time and just sit down with a cup of tea and enjoy. But what also yeah. like a great way for that person to have captured that pivotal moment for us, yeah. like 100%. nostalgia as a way in which to connect with us and recreating something. But also the other thing that went through my mind when you were saying that was just that, you know, you don't need to create businesses from completely new ideas. You could mm. take something, tweak it a little bit and making it a bit more relevant to the market today or that memory mm. is also really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. I, I think it's interesting. It's like you get to that point where you like, oh, I remember that song. And then you realize how long ago that was. <laughs> yeah. Like we're at that stage in life. Now we're <laughs> like, oh, that was 10 years ago. And it doesn't feel like 10 years ago. Well, the thing I found so funny as well was, um, was watching one of the, the music videos. He does a song with uh, T-Pain 
the mm. first one of the first auto tune R and B uh, singer songwriters. And in this music video, not only is he featuring this artist that was really famous at the time, but they're both dressing the same way that Team T Pain would have dressed it at the time. And it just made me think that I was like we can probably start hosting costume parties soon from the era in which we were in. And that would be really fun. So um, We'd have all the clothes already. Yeah, exactly. So guys, if we hit 100 five-star reviews on the Marketing Show podcast, we will host an R&B themed um, marketing show party. I love it. That's a big commitment that we hadn't discussed before, but it sounds good. Well, on that note, uh, we're going to wrap up. Thank you so much, Afra, for joining us today. We've learned a lot about how you built your business and everything that underpins it that you've learned along the way. So thank you. Thank you for having me.